Hey everybody, this is Brent Watkinson with Everyday Artist. Today's guest is my long time friend, John English. John was an award-winning illustrator for 20-some years and also a fine art painter for galleries that overlapped his illustration career. In 1995, he and his father, artist and illustrator Mark English, started the Illustration Academy, which was and still is an intense immersion program to help students and working professionals hone their skills at problem solving, thinking, picture making, and to boost their skills and careers to the next level. For over 20 years, John has brought the highest level of working professionals to the Illustration Academy to teach and to share their insights and proficiencies on a truly intimate level. It is an incredible hands-on experience with long days shared with many like-minded people and an unbelievable amount of hours of contact with instructors. I had the pleasure and the good fortune to be associated with the Illustration Academy for about 20 years or so, and it never ceased to amaze John and I both that after running the Academy every day during the summer sessions for sometimes 16, 18 hours a day for many weeks, toward the end of the Academy, we would walk into the classroom utterly exhausted, only to find that the energy of the studio and the students began breathing life and stamina back into our minds and our bodies. The Illustration Academy is truly magic in a bottle with a lasting community that has been built and friendships that will last a lifetime. I know there, were, there are many people that came to those first academies in the mid-90s that are still good, close, personal friends to this day. During this interview, John and I talk about the mental side of becoming a better artist and how John helps people understand the true function and the composition of a good working portfolio. He also talks about the process that is delivered at the Illustration Academy to help produce a functional linear way to help people learn about problem solving and making images, as well as the way the differing industries go from start to finish on real world assignments. There is a lot of information in this interview and also a lot of good stories of John growing up as the son of one of the most prominent illustrators of the last century and quite a few laughs along the way. It is my great pleasure to bring you this interview with my good friend of many, many years, John English. Let's get into it. John, I want to get into the past and the history of the Illustration Academy today, of course. But right now, let's start in the present. So I will ask you, what is your elevator pitch 
for the Illustration Academy. If you had to tell someone three or four sentences about what is the Illustration Academy, what would that be? Well, I think it's a, an immersive studio environment. The information's delivered by some of the best practitioners in the world, the best visual picture makers that I've ever been around or ever seen. And it's, um, it's an answer to like an addendum to traditional education. I think it's, it's about developing your career, developing your life wrapped around the artwork that you want to make. That's a good answer. Uh, does it dovetail with existing educational institutions? Does it compete with them? Where do you think it falls in the big picture? I, th- I think it's a additional information. I think that traditional art education, you know, most all the schools, well, all the schools are uh, basically a, a BFA program, Bachelor of Fine Arts. And I think that our focus allows us a little bit more um, involvement with industry. Um, it's not as, uh, it's not just about you know, timeless information. Um, it's, it's very current and it is, it's the information delivered by people that are active in the industry. So that's what makes it current is you have people that are actually doing it now that come in and say, Hey, look at this. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. You said that because it's not, it's not, it's, it's people at different times in their career, at different places in their career. Uh, Gary Kelly, uh, my father's still active in it, and I hope he can continue to be active in it because he's he's amazing to to be around to to watch and to see his uh, his his mind work uh, putting you know putting pictures together. But you have Chris Payne and my father and Gary Kelly that are just. You know, they've been in the industry for an, an immense amount of time, um, decades, and they have, they're probably the best people to go to as far as picture making practices, but they couldn't begin to tell you how to get started in, the, in your career. And I think it's important to bring people that have just experienced success, that are just starting to have success, people in the middle of the careers that are at the peak of their career, um, I think offering a kind of a look or a path for somebody to follow is, is important for students to see. So would you say that, um, and I'll just make up some terms here. So you have some young guns in there. Some of the people that are young that started figuring out how to be an illustrator recently and then you have maybe some of the people that are in the middle of the career, and then you have some of, uh, we'll call it the old guard, some of the people that have been great picture makers for, like you said, decades. Um, So you kind of fill in all the blanks about being a great picture maker as well as learning the industry and getting into the industry and the new things that are happening. Yeah, I think, and I think also being current with different, different genres and different areas that have become uh, a, another 
another place for illustrators to work, good visual storytellers to work, you know, uh, and the concept. So, so compare side. that to 20 years ago. What's a new, what's a new place for people to work? Well, um, visual development for animation. Uh, a lot of traditional illustrators, uh, you know, some of the best character, character and environment uh, animators are, I, I guess, character designers, individuals like Peter DeSev and Carter Goodrich that, you know, started their careers as editorial illustrators and book book illustrators, picture book illustrators, and have become, were discovered by the animation world or or however they got involved in animation. I'm not completely sure. They're just some of the best drawers I've ever seen. And what was the name of the movie about the little animals in the Arctic? I can't remember the name of that. Ice Age? Ice Age, yeah. And yeah. That, that was Peter DeSev, wasn't Peter it? Peter DeSev. Okay. Yeah. Carter Goodrich designed most of the, you know, the, 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 did a lot of the character work for uh, Oh, I didn't Brave. know they did it. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. And what... Um, you know that's that's one place. Uh, the the entertainment and games community uh, uh, has offered all kinds of uh, different uh, different outcomes, different directions for illustrators to work towards um, the or to work in. You know, a lot of our students come to us with, um, you know, they say, "I want to be a, a concept artist. I want to do illustration and be a concept artist," because I think. I think a lot of, well, not a lot, but several of our instructors, uh, Carlo Ortiz and Wesley Burt, they're known for character design and for the work that they do in, in the inter- entertainment industry, specifically, you know, concept art for, you know, major motion pictures. And I think there's some, you know, some ambiguity to what, diff- you know, what careers come from concept art. And it's still, you know, it's still all very new to me too. I mean, but, but I noticed that, that there's a lot of the foundation, a lot of the skill sets relate to either part of the industry. I know that years ago I had a student at the art Institute by the name of Jim Mafood, and he has been doing very well in comics. Um, he, uh, does a lot of different things. He's a DJ, I think on the side just for fun. And I, saw him for the first time since he graduated. He's been living in all around the country, but uh, he's living in LA right now. And he was one of the main concept artists for the new Spider-Man movie. And his work is so far out there. His theory was they wanted to get him in there just to push the limits. Because I met him a couple of years ago for the first time in a long time. And he said, Brent, I'm just waiting for somebody to say no to me because he comes up with this crazy stuff, crazy stuff. And, and he just dreams and says, wow, it'd be fun to do this. And they say, okay, yeah, go ahead. So I don't know if a lot of his work actually made it to the movie, but they certainly used him as kind of a bell mare on where to go or what the limits were or something. So is that something that you address at the Illustration Academy, actually working for movie industries? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this year we have a, um, we've kind of divided instead of it being in the past, um, over, at least in the last few years, we started offering one week and really promoting one week workshops and we've identified them by subject matter this year. And the first, the first year is we call foundations and legends. 
And it's uh, Gary Kelly, my father, uh, Mark English is my father, um, Bill Sienkiewicz, George Pratt, and uh, I don't know if I want to include myself as, as a legend in there. I'm there as the, the camp counselor. Um, <laughs> keep them in line. Well, uh, you unlock the door in the morning. That's right. I, and I, I, I clean up at the end, too. I vacuum every night. But... Um, and they truly are. They are. Uh, they are legends, and to the industry as illustrators, uh, Bill's more focus is more in the comic world. He stays over to the next week, and we have a, a comics and sequential um, week uh, identified. That is uh, Bill Sienkiewicz, Mark Chiarella from DC Comics, Francis Vallejo, Vanessa Del Rey, Natalie Hall, and of course George Pratt. That week. You know, fo- focus is going to be on sequential and comics. The following week is our editorial and, and uh, publishing. And that used to be really our focus for all the weeks. <laughs> um, that was really our identity. That week consists of Edward Kinsella, Sterling Hunley, Jeffrey Allen Love, the great C.F. Payne, and George Pratt, of course. The following, you know, I have that trouble with George too. I, I, his name comes up so much on this podcast. <laughs> I love you, George. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's everywhere. Well, George, George is hard to put into a box. You can't. Yeah, he does so many different things, and he does so many things well. And he had, he's had such an amazing influence on our students. Well, you just listed several students, well, former students that uh, were members or excuse me were students at the academy years ago and they went out into the world and did good things and you brought them back yeah i i think it's uh i think number one i think it's really important for the program to be able to show that it works (laughs) that there's that that our students are achieving success you know i know that there's many many uh accolades and awards that our students have won you know, the, the uh, Edward Kinsella and Sterling Hunley and Jeffrey Allen Love, Vanessa Del Rey, uh, Francis Vallejo, that are all returning with us. And also this year, Haley Herrick from DreamWorks will be uh, attending the last week, which is, I haven't, I haven't gotten there yet. The last week is a concept, uh, concept art and uh, character design. And our focus uh, that week is obviously on, you know, kind of the entertainment and games world. Yeah, maybe even the, the animation character development, but it's um, Wesley Burt, Carla Ortiz, John Foster, and uh, Haley Herrick, as a man Haley from DreamWorks, and she was also she was also a student of ours. I guess our students have gone all different directions. I mean, we've had students that have have had great success as uh, in the fine art world as painting. Robin Eli. Uh, um, David Casson was a student of ours. Uh, Josh George, wonderful, uh, very and, and 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 artists that have gone very very different directions. Uh, they've taken the information and um, have developed in completely different directions in 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 genre and style of the way they work. And what is that information that is so broad and and uh, make such a strong foundation that they can decide to do this type of work or that type of work. What is it that you give these young students that makes such a big difference and a diverse difference because they they get out of the academy and go all different directions? There's a couple of things. Um, 
number one, we have a very diverse faculty that do lots of different things. Part of being an illustrator of, you know, a narrative painter is personal point of view. You know, what, how you see the world, how you tell the story. I think that it's kind of become maybe, maybe a little bit more than I, I've asked for, but um, it's kind of become my place to try to explain kind of the priority in picture making. You know, what, what's essential to achieve success? You know, it's like, I think a lot of students come to our program or a lot of students in art school or that are trying to enter the industry think about really, they think about high polish and finish and they don't think about structure. They don't think about composition. And those are the things that we place focus on. And it's kind of a unique way of teaching picture, picture making. Even our, even our approach to drawing relates more to that than. So tell me your emphasis again, if it's not polishing and making things perfectly beautiful, what's the other side of that? What's the foundation that you're looking at? Well, you know, Gary, Gary Kelly said this best and it kind of changed the way I looked at everything one day. He said, you know, basically you have to approach to making illustration work or putting, designing a picture, a page. He said, you have to look at that and, and assume that a picture is a collection of shapes and it's really up for you to control all the shapes in your picture. And that's the way he looked at picture making. And, and you know, it's something very special about my father and Gary. And I think they, they're more designers than they are or as, as much designers as they are painters. Very much designers. I think there's such a value to a young student seeing an approach like that and working, you know, part of it is working in a process. Part of it is working in an illustration process. It's kind of the process of the industry. We kind of break it down. And in that process, you're really drawing from like three different directions. You're drawing... At the beginning, you're drawing from memory. You use your all the practice that you have of drawing observationally to develop uh, your ability to draw from memory and to draw from photo reference. If it's pointed in the right place, and this is one of the things that I think that happens with artists uh, and the success of our students that are developing um, maybe kind of a their own vision, a unique point of view from them uh, that that comes from them something that links all of their work together. And I always think, I always try to tell people it's, it's a magnificent thing when you see a Gary Kelly or a Chris Payne or, or a Anita Kuntz, whoever, whoever it is, their work's so fabulous that, that they've established themselves. You know it's their work before you see any credit line. You, there's something that holds it all together. And it might be something they've even done that is not what you've seen from them in the past, a different material that they're using, but it's still linked together by their voice about what they have to say and how they solve picture making. And, you know, I, I, I look at the journey my father's been on and he tries everything he does. So he, he, and he's been successful at so many different, in so many different directions. And I think it's, it's, um, First of all, I think it's his foundations and the way he sees design and picture making uh, that holds it all together. And I think it's really healthy for the students to approach not thinking about like high render, high finish. They're thinking more about the structure and that 
that design that holds it together. Well, we have a common friend by the name of Baron Story. He has told students for years his story about his favorite teacher, Robert Weaver. And Baron would always tell students, yes, my instructor, Mr. Weaver, because he always called him that. And then Baron would break it down into more modern terms. He said, Mr. Weaver said to take a high resolution <laughs> idea yeah, you're laughing because you remember that. I remember, I remember that. it well. Oh, I've told this story a thousand but your times. Vo- your voice is not deep enough. <laughs> do your I'm best. I'm Baron's story. Do your best Baron. Yes, I don't think anybody can do Baron except Baron. Well, maybe Edward. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but uh, he would say, take this high-resolution idea and do a low-resolution finish so that the finish, so that the pretty picture doesn't get in the way of the message. And I think that uh, that's really important. It's hard to wrap your head around. I think it's difficult for students to figure out how to do that. It would be difficult for me to figure out how to do it. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, you're basically saying the same thing. Well, I think that Barron's a perfect example of it. He's a phenomenally good illustrator and great. I mean, I don't know what's more impressive, his illustration work or his sketchbooks. I mean, a sketchbook is is an art form in itself. Yeah, I I was going to say they're they're related. You know, it's interesting. He's one of those people that figured out, I think pretty early on that, that high resolution, uh, either in visual or idea, um, in finish or idea that he had control of that. And he, you know, what constitutes a finish for illustration is a really quagmire for students, you know, and it's changed. Yeah. Drastically. Absolutely. You know, I think, I think I'm going to kind of back up a little bit what I was talking about, about working in an illustration process and drawing from those three different directions and using observational drawing as the tool that you develop at a very high level that you can draw from memory and you can draw from photo reference very well. And I think that there's a five steps that we've laid out to this process. I did a talk at ICON this summer and I used that process doc and I, I kind of giggled that people were excited about it. And I'm, I, I was kind of amazed because it's real. I mean, first of all, they're not my words, they're words, they really comes all the way back to Howard Pyle of what he taught his students and what he was teaching Harvey Dunn and N.C. Wyeth. Don't be the sleeve, be the arm in the sleeve. <laughs> yeah. And what I take from it and where I think if used properly, that that process is a very creative process. Number one, it's the working process of the industry. So you're kind of, you're kind of tied to it. Even in the movies and the concept work, it's still basically the same process of, you know, from start to finish, A, B, C, D. Um, I, I, give or take. Yeah. Give or take. I think, you know, I think pipeline is different. I think that, um, there's, you know, when they show their work, uh, and how they show their work is, is, is different. I lean on, you know, that's why, you know, we can have a concept art, art week or a, a week that focuses on the entertainment side because we bring the right people. We bring Carlo Ortiz and Wesley Burt and Haley Herrick and, um, to, to that week and John to be able to explain exactly how it does work. I'm not the right guy to ask. I, I have a understanding of it, but it's, it's limited. Um, the process that back to this process of working in a process and the value of it, it allows you to be uh, on target. It allows you to really 
you know, it puts you, you get into the habit of working in this process. And I was actually blown away when developed the Academy in 1995. And I should have, I should have known better when I, when we brought all these people together, um, brought all these, you know, um, uh, Bart Forbes and Malcolm Lipke and, uh, Jack, Jack Unruh. Unruh. I mean, Anita Kuntz and just fabulous, fabulous illustrators and Gary and Chris. And I thought it was wonderful that we invited all these people and they came and, you know, and I kind of realized after the fact, the reason they came was because my father was involved in it. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it takes, John. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, and uh, Fred Otnes, let's not forget oh, Fred, that, Otnes, uh, yeah, Fred and your dad yeah, had been friends for yeah, ever. Absolutely. And, and a number of other artists that have come uh, along the way uh, and been involved. Last year, Brad Holland came to the program for the first time, and it was just, he was, he was magnificent. What I saw was everybody had the same working process. And it was the same working process I had. I kind of botched it up a little bit in the way that I dealt with it and, and learned, learned more about, along the way why it was more effective to use it the way. You had a pretty good studio mentor back when you were learning illustration. I, I you did. You know, what's his name? Yeah. Mark English. Yeah. yeah, I did. Yeah, he, he's all right. He, it, it, but, you know, it's like, and it was funny. It's like, I listened to my father talk to students and I kind of stopped and I was like, I wish he would have told me that. <laughs> it would have made my life a lot easier. Uh, um, I do, I do want to keep, I keep going back to this process thing because there's something that happens if using that process properly, where you go, you know, you do your ideation, your research, and you, you move to, you're doing thumbnailing and right at the top of the list of, of all these uh, associated skill sets that I have below each step in this document that I put together, it says draw from memory. I remember listening to Gary talk about, you know, this, you know, doing thumbnails and well, Gary, Chris, my father, whoever, I mean, they, they all did. He says doing thumbnails and designing, you know, designing them from, you know, drawing from memory. It gave you an advantage, a creative advantage. You weren't, you weren't, uh, you know, uh, reliant on somebody else's solution. And when you, when you bring referencing, which is the next step, you, know, you get photo reference or you bring more research to it. And, it, and basically what you're doing is you're doing design work and you're putting ideas down on a page in a, in a three value or two value thumbnail, whatever it is. And it's not about the finish. It's not about the drawing. It's about the light and dark pattern that you start to create on a page that's help, that that's, can almost be an abstraction at the beginning. And what it's doing, it's, or what you're doing, if you're drawing from memory, you're pulling only from the resources that you know. You know, it's every book you've read, it's every movie you've seen, song you've listened to. And you're not, you haven't gone to the point where you've, you're influenced by another, like, like a piece of reference or another painting. You might be, have a painting in the back of your head that you're influenced by, but you're not, you don't have it in front of you. So the difference between those people and a lot of other people are they design it first using their intellect and their instinctual picture making ability, which they've honed. Then they inform that design with whatever reference they need to make things look structural or believable. Is that accurate? 
quite accurate. References there for the sole purpose of supplying you the the information that you don't have in drawing from memory to complete the picture to to realize it in with light hitting form or what other technical information you need to make to realize your picture to bring it to a finish. And I think I will use Gary Kelly as an example here because I used the term believable a while ago instead of photographic or perfect or whatever. And I think every time I see one of Gary's works, I think he's made this magical freakish window into this world that he has created. And he doesn't go by the same rules that I do or a lot of other people or or anybody or anybody. He makes his own rules, but he does it in such a way that I believe it. It's informed. It's informed believability. And, and, um, I remember, I don't know, maybe one of the first two or three years of the Academy that we were doing together. And, you know, you and I were just looking at Gary Kelly and you, pulled me out in the hallway and you said, this guy's from another planet. He's, he's on a whole different level than most people. He, he brought a, a book that he was working on and he had all the process work for the book. It's and like he, Bosch, Bobber Bosch or yeah. something silly like that. And he had all of the, the, the layout done and all the sketch work that he had done. How he told, explained how he told the stories, talked to, you know, what was the appropriate part to bring the reader through the story before the action, after the action, he was, it was just beautifully thought out. And I remember turning to you and looking at you and and saying, I don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) You've mentioned personal point of view at least a couple of times. So what do you think that is and where does it come from? Two very hard questions. I really don't know how to define it except for, you know, some people say style, which I don't, I think they confuse style with point of view all the time. And I, I think that it's really not. I think that's a huge distinction you just made. I agree with you. Yeah. I think that voice, point of view, a personal identity as, a, as an artist, um, I think is, is, a, is, is a better way to explain it. And I think that it's, you know, we talk about the value of the academy and I think it's, it's easier to, to discover to, to, um, because it's not something that happens right away. You talked about, you know, having people at different points in their career, uh, different, you know, uh, a really mature artist versus a really young artist. The one thing I'm, I really think about when we're looking to add somebody to our roster or bring an artist in to talk to students is that somebody does have a point of view. Somebody does has, they've gone through that process of developing something that's kind of uniquely their own. And I think it's easier for the students to learn that. And it may, and and people may have done it very different ways, but they hear the history or see the history of, of an artist presenting them about their career and their path. And I think it's easier learned from people identity or or learn how to develop that yourself when you're around people that have done it. And I think that's, that, that's a big value to our program that as far as where it comes from, I think it comes from a lot of searching and being 
making art that you really want to make, making it the way you want to make it. That was one of my questions. Do you think it comes from just drawing or painting what you like to draw and paint? It's just like, what's, what makes you happy and make you giggle, you know, when you do the work? Right. I, you know, I, I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is in, you know, you know, we, what was George Pratt's line? If, if, if people could see my eyes bleed as I've learned how to do this, when he's talking about doing watercolor and all, all of the artists or all of the illustrators that have contributed to our program, they're, they're serious artists. I mean, they, this is, you know, it's not, it's not a fluke that they're successful. They've worked at it really, really hard and they've put a huge amount of time in it and they treat illustration as an art form, their art form. And is it a lifestyle? Do you think a lot of these people just live the life of an artist as an illustrator? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think it's, it's a huge commitment. I mean, people, you know, they, they've, they've thought about their relationships and family and finances and have geared everything to allow them to be good artists, to be better artists. They've, they've, they've considered all of that and they're very serious about making artwork. The other part, the, the part that the second half of that question about I, how do you develop it? I think, well, first of all, (laughs) I think that all of the people that I've listed are very smart people and they're very, they, they're continuous learners. They continue to read. They're very curious people. Yeah. They pay attention to the world. They're current. They also will push themselves in places that are uncomfortable at times and learning, you know, I talk about myself personally about drawing from memory. That was hard. It's, it's difficult. It was very difficult for me to do and to make myself do it and to push myself uh, out of a comfort zone. When you know there's an easy answer out there where you can, you can go and you can Google something or you can go to the library and find great reference on something. But if you can think about designing your pictures from memory, you only have you to depend on and you only have the information that's in your brain to use as a resource. So I think you're closer to developing yourself or you're, you're on the right path to developing yourself if you go through that process because you got in the habit on relying on what you know. And I think that's me. And I, it, it took me a while to come to that conclusion. And it's like one day it, I just kind of said, wow, this makes a lot of sense. I mean, it sounds good on paper and maybe, and maybe it, it, it's not true, but I believe it. I believe it is true. What role, what role does the sketchbook play in personal point of view? That that's a quagmire too. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> that's my job, John. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Fix it. Thanks. Fix it you for know, me. <laughs> as much as as much as as I preach, uh, and the academy talks about, and I and I think it really more about drawing, and it's not and it's not necessarily um, identified just in the sketchbook. Um, my dad never carried a sketchbook. Um, but a lot of the artists that I was around, uh, I've I. <laughs> I was so fortunate as a child to be exposed and it almost sounds like, you know, George has told me sometimes he goes, be careful telling that story. It sounds like you're making it up. 
And I said, yeah, but it was true. Um, I was fortunate that my dad's best friends were all, you know, these rock star illustrators during the, you know, 60s, 70s and 80s. And you were living in Westport, Connecticut, right outside of New York City. Well, a little town called Reading, Connecticut. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I was the same age as, um, close to the same age as, as Bernie Fuchs's children. And uh, my, you know, two of my closest friends is, in my childhood were Bob Heindel's sons, Toby and Troy Heindel. Um, Elise and Derek Fuchs, I know not as well as I knew the Heindels, but I certainly was aware of them and was around them. And so what interest did you have in this amazing artwork that you saw every day, all day, all night? Um, not much. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, so your dad was just some crazy guy that drew yeah, pictures of whatever. Yeah. I want to play football now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was a jock. I, I played every sport, um, or tried to play every sport was okay at a couple of them. And, um, I was interested in playing games, you know, I was, you know, it's like everybody else. And, you know, what I did get from my father, um, I knew he was successful and I, I saw his, you know, work on the cover of magazines and awards that he had won and album covers and all kinds of, th all kinds of things. Um, and I knew, I knew he was really good at something, but he worked really hard at it. He worked a lot. And that wasn't real high on my list when I was when I was a young guy. Um, I I but liked that. He fun. was he was kind of a night owl, and he would you know you'd come home from school, and he'd play and hang out with his kids, and then when you guys would go to bed, he would go to work. Wasn't that basically yeah, his yeah. schedule a lot? Well, yeah, uh, it was his life, and he, he was you know a night owl. He you know he worked. It seemed like he was always working. At some point, you know, I always had to distract him to do something. You know, the area that I grew up in was, wasn't like real rural, but it was, you know, everybody had, you know, four to 15 or 20 acres. It was out in this really romantic little town in perfect New England little town. And uh, neighbors weren't close by. My closest friend was about a mile away, a mile and a half away. I walked to the end of the street actually kind of fun. I'm going to see him this weekend in New York or next weekend in New York. Thanks to Facebook. Right. The, sto the, the story I was telling with George when he, he made that comment was it doesn't sound real. And I, and, and it was very real. Um, a couple different spring breaks, we went on a vacation with the Fuchs family. The English and the Fuchses went to South Carolina to Hilton Head. Both Bernie and my father had done, uh, some work for sea pines plantation or palmetto dunes one of the two and part of their trade was they got a condo every year for uh their families to come to uh, was part of the bartering for the for the artwork and a bunch of well-known illustrators prior to my father and bernie uh kobe whitmore joe demers joe bowler had all settled those are big names oh i know yeah and, <laughs> and they had all settled in uh in Hilton Head. And I was telling a story about going to dinner and sitting next to Bernie in between Bernie and Kobe or across from Kobe Whitmore. And, and George kind of stopped his heart, <laughs> he grabbed his heart and he said, be careful. He goes, that doesn't sound real. <laughs> it, yeah. It, it sounds fake. Yeah, yeah. But it was true. And, you know, and it happened to several times. 
I wish I was, I wish I would have known what I wanted to do with my life at that time. I was 14 years old and they were just my dad's friends. And I wish I would have paid more attention. And, and I remember, I, I, my, I, I do have a good memory. I can't remember things I should, but I remember experiences very well. And another funny uh, memory that I had as a child was going to Austin Briggs home for the first time. And I, 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 I it's not like I was familiar with him. I had, uh, I think I probably saw him five or six times in my life, but I remember getting out of the car at his house and which was a spectacular home, contemporary. And he had all these, he had sculpture in the, in the gardens and my dad looking at me, I was probably seven or eight years old and telling me, don't climb on the sculpture. And he had Henry Moore's in his, at least one. Wow. In his, in his, I mean, difference of illustrator's lifestyle today. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I don't know any illustrators that could afford uh, a Henry Moore. Yeah. That's yeah. A, that's a big deal. It was interesting because, you know, the, the, all of the, well, that, all that money, uh, uh, Austin was the famous, one of the famous artist school, uh, originals and he made a lot of money from the school. I have no idea where it came from. I, I sh- I'm just guessing that was part of it, but, uh, and he was a phenomenal illustrator. Well, and those guys were machines. They worked all the time. They did yes. a lot of work and it paid very well. Yeah. Uh, we all know where JC Liondecker lived, right? What his house looked like. And if you don't know, then you should take a moment and <laughs> find yeah. out what, how the other illustrators used to live. Yeah. Well, there was a great resurgent, you know, during the sixties and seventies that, that illustrators made a phenomenally good living at, at the top. And there was only, excuse me, there was a, a small number of them. There wasn't, you know, there's, there's so much more work out there now and people that probably make better livings now in the, uh, in different, different directions in traditional illustration. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a, a very romantic. And again, I wish, I wish I would have, uh, been a little bit more aware about it, uh, and what I was around. Uh, but I try to remember it. I try to, I try to think about it. I don't want to forget it. Um, um, you know, Robert Heindel had a huge influence in my life. And, uh, just because I, I was fast when I started working, when I started, he was, uh, <laughs> he, t- he told me something that I never considered. I was at, I went to one of the illustrators workshops I ended up going to, I guess I went to three of them, two and a half. And the first time I was ever around my father in a professional environment where he was with his friends and it was just other adults. And I was, you know, I was supposed to be an adult at that time. I was like 19, I guess. And Bob Heindel kind of cornered me and he made an observation and it was really astute of him to think of this. And, and I, if, if he were here, I would thank him for it. He, um, he said, you see all of these people that came to this workshop to the, in, in the illustrator's workshop was, uh, kind of a precursor to the Academy in my life. It's uh, Chris Payne, Anita Coons, many other illustrators, uh, uh from the, there were a generation in front of me went to that program and I was fortunate enough to go there. That's how, that's actually where I met. Chris Payne. But Bob Heindel told me one day, he said, he goes, you see all these students here? He said, most of them are here 
because they want to figure out what your dad does. They want to emulate him. And he says, he said something to me that just blew me away. He said, um, he said, now of all the people that are here, you're the one person that can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny. It was, it was great. And he was looking out for me and, and then he kind of, he stopped and he turned back. He was the coolest guy ever. And he, he stopped and he looked back at me and he said, and I'll kick your ass if you do. <laughs> <laughs> and he would have. <laughs> yeah. He was, uh, he was a pretty special guy. I, I, he had taken me to the hospital more than once of me hurting myself at his house. And, um, I asked your dad one time, I said, well, what was it like to have John as a son back in the day growing up? And he gave me many answers over many years. Uh, but my favorite one was, uh, he said something like there was always a lot of noise and a lot of stitches. Yeah. So I, I was a rambunctious young guy. Johnny had to be sewn up. Yeah. Got fixed a few times. And the interesting part is also, uh, your close friends know this, but you were not John until you were out of college. You're, you were Mark. Your name is actually Mark. And yeah. I people, was, I was in college. And I it was taking a class with John Collier and it was a like a portfolio class. I was taking it when I was a freshman. And I, I was fortunate to have the opportunity to to study with John. He was a uh like, like an honorary chair or it was a it was a position that Hallmark gave the University of Kansas. And they actually asked my father for advice on who they would hire. And he knew John. And he knew what he was, you know, what part of his career he was in and thought it would be a good thing for him to, to take this job. And John took it and it happened to be that right when I was going to school. And so this class that I'm taking, it was full of juniors and seniors that were, uh, developing portfolios and they were making up, um, you had to develop a mailer and, uh, distribute it. This is the old day kids. The yeah. olden days when you had to actually make a postcard and mail them out. Yeah. Well, that, that's still very prevalent. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, it, uh, you can do it. And, but I had to have this mailer made as a leave behind piece for art directors. That was part of the assignment and so, no, no websites, anything like that. Just this mailer that's and then the traditional portfolio it was something you left behind. And so, um, I did this, you know, at, for me, it was, it was the best I had. And it was a, a decent piece that was on the, on the mailer, but it said Mark English on it <laughs> because <laughs> nope. that was my name. <laughs> and I didn't think twice. I never considered it. And I showed it to my father and he looked at me really strange and he goes, you're going to have to change that and never show that to anybody. It's <laughs> 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 a true story. <laughs> and you did and you didn't. Yes. Yeah. Well, I used to be over at your house and, um, and of course, everybody, your family still called you Mark because that's who you were. And uh, But I'd be over at your house and somebody would say, uh, hey, Mark, go pick up the thing over by Mark because Mark is going to be here later. So tell Mark. And I'm like, what? They just knew. They knew which Mark they were talking about. My nickname to my family was Little Mark. And I couldn't stand to be called Little Mark. And I was, you know, and maybe, maybe because my dad's taller than me. <laughs> No, you're just too competitive. Uh, yeah, it, we were competitive with everything, and I couldn't, st- I couldn't stand to be called Little Mark. And I had the unfortunate, my mother's maiden name was my is my middle name is Little John, and so 
I started, I said, I'm just going to go with John. (laughs) (laughs) Just make it easy. And so, so my, my name is Mark Little John English. And, um, I just, I just got rid of the Mark and the Little and just go with John. Yeah. I used to tell everybody, uh, no, Mark's name is not Mark and John's name is not John. So just go from there. That's right. And wonder, and wonder how I, I can walk across the floor and put my (laughs) pants on every morning. Sometimes. So what's the next step after you draw from memory, then you go to what part of this process? We've gotten pretty far away from that, but the, uh, I'll get back to it. (laughs) Um, well, it was a fun little journey. Yeah. The, um, the process, the five step process is ideation, thumbnailing. And the third, the third step is, is reference. And bringing the information you need, this is how I explain it anyway, bringing the information you need to finish, the technical, technically finish, to realize the picture that you've created out of your, out of your mind, out of your brain, from, uh, that you've designed from memory. That you designed with a purpose. Right. And, and uh, reference, you know, knowing how to shoot reference, knowing how light hit, hits form. I remember all these like great statements people made to me. And that's one of the things that I think's made the Academy work so well. Cause I keep, I kept thinking I had all of this information thrown at me from some really great artists, uh, illustrators. Um, my father being the one who told me the most, and it was still really hard to do. <laughs> it's like, I always wondered how, you know, like George Pratt and I are the same age. It's like, how did he figure this out? You know, I had a, I had this, all this stuff thrown at me. And then I finally am around George and meet, you know, I meet George and I'm around him a lot and I'm just like, Oh, (laughs) he's really smart. (laughs) Yeah. It it took it. I needed the extra boost, right? Uh, We were headed toward the, the step of reference, getting reference. All right. Yeah. Shooting, shooting, using reference properly. And I think, I think Sterling, I listened to Sterling say this to a student one day and he was, walked up behind him at the academy. He's looking over his shoulder and he says, hey, 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 don't, don't let that reference push you around. And, um, and it was a really, that's a good way to say that. It was a great way of saying it. He says, you're getting too influenced by what you're looking at. And that needs again. And I, I think that's where personality really comes from is being able to, to take what you need to make the pictures that you want to make. It's about editing. It's choosing the right things that you need for the picture and leaving the rest of it out. I used to ask students all the time, look at a Norman Rockwell, look at a Mark English, look at a Chris Payne. You tell me what we need to add to make that picture really work or tell me what we can get rid of to make it better. And of course, those three people I just mentioned, you know, good luck. Uh, I'm sure it's possible, but your dad was a great, is a great editor because I always said, Mark, you're the laziest illustrator I know because you never put anything in a picture you don't absolutely need. And that's because he's so smart. Yeah. Someday I'd like to, my father has most of them now, but I have a lot, all these photo reference of, of illustrators, uh, of not, not too much outside of that Westport group, but of my father and Bernie and Fred and Bob modeling for each other. 
And so these, you mean uh, he's got images that maybe Bernie photographed that he would use for reference? Yeah. Or, okay. Oh, absolutely. I, wow. And, I, and I, I modeled for Bernie a couple of times. I've been in a couple of his illustrations. And I, oh, I think I, that you modeled for everybody the, a lot. You know, it was just what you did. You know, this, hey, Bernie's coming over. And he's well, you were this little you. blonde, toe headed kid, the right age, you know, for everybody in those stories. And uh, uh, did that pay pretty well? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was allowed to swim in their pools, um, and they fed me. Uh, they were, they were, yeah, yeah. It was just part of it. It was, and it was, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was unique. I wish I would have again. I wish I would have been more aware when I was. Oh, I'm sure there were lots of late night phone calls to wives and children, and you know, hey, get over here, and I have to put a light on you and photograph you with my black and white Polaroid. I got to get this job done tonight or whatever. And there, there's also some, I, I won't go into any of them, but there's also just a tremendous amount of funny stories about things they put themselves through in the modeling, you know, having to tie each other up or uh, model as criminals, you know, with guns <laughs> and all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's some very funny stuff. And it was maybe, it's maybe like the Steve Martin joke, uh, 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 specifically for plumbers. Uh, maybe yes, it's only yeah. funny to illustrators. <laughs> You know, we'll, we'll eventually get through those five steps uh, where you know, after your reference, you, you uh, create a value study and the value of a value study. I always got a kick out of that was that uh, it's, it's a roadmap of your finished piece. And, and again, that is your final drawing. You know, you submit when you're working in process, that process, when you're working with an art director and a client, you show thumbnails, they choose hey, you submitted six thumbnails, they want to see number three, you know, that this is the one we like. And then you develop that thumbnail with whatever you need, whatever information you have to go out and acquire to make that picture, you develop a final drawing. And then you go forward from there. And depending on the budget and the type of what part of the industry you're working on, the color is usually part of the finish. Didn't used to be that way, but it is now. So the value study is to help solve some problems with design and light and dark patterns and maybe stepping things back using value scales or bringing things to the to the front so you're just doing a miniature study of of the values that you want to mimic in the painting although it can be open-ended you can make changes and be spontaneous as george always would be well this is assuming you're not working digitally. If you're working digitally, you have some advantages um, and you have some disadvantages too. Biggest disadvantage is you don't have anything when you're done. <laughs> um, and, 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 and there's others. Uh, but the biggest advantage that I see is that, you know, Command Z is a great thing and you can move things around. You can, if you're working traditionally, you've submitted your final drawing, it was approved. Your piece better look like that. You know, and you've solved the problem visually and you're going to, the, the, the beauty of, of solidifying the vision of space and your value structure of your picture is when you sit down to do the finish, you can have a lot of fun with material. You can play with media, um, explore paint, color, all kinds of stuff. But the, the thing that, I back to Gary Kelly. He, Gary Kelly would just like throw these, throws these sentences out or these these quotes that are are like gold. And he said uh, one day he just said, "Hey, you know, 
back to a picture as a collection of shapes and it's for you, it's up to you to design those shapes. And then he paused and he said, and to design everything else. You have to, you design everything in your picture. He goes, the way you put the paint down, the color, everything is designed. And in, again, it's like clarity when he says that, you know, it's like, why didn't I think of that? It just makes so much sense. Yeah. It, it's so obvious, but overlooked. Yeah. And it's, it's just, you design everything all through the process and designing, you know, knowing your value structure and how to control value. I mean, it's what delineates shape. It what's allows your silhouettes and your shapes to read in your pictures. An illustration usually is a quick read. I mean, it's usually there, you know, think about like cover work. I mean, it's, it's kind of a poster. Things have to, things are usually fairly dynamic and they, they have to be, you know, you're legible and, and, uh, get there quickly. Well, you mentioned the, the four different weeks of the Academy and they were all quite diverse, I think. And it makes me think about the fact that every piece of artwork whether it's illustration or concept art, whatever it is, all of these things have a job to do. And you and I have talked about this before because I would really like to have a Bernie Fuchs hanging on my wall because it's interesting to look at and it's very vague in a lot of ways and very focused in other ways. And a piece of concept art has its job to do. I don't know if it's job. Now they, they are very beautiful and they are amazing to look at, but it's two different functions. I think if there's, if you're paying for a gallery or if you're doing a piece of concept work for Iron Man, I made that up. It's two different functions, I think. So how do you, do you address that at the Academy or is, or is it a little bit more myopic and you're just trying to make pictures? Yeah, it, it all really goes back to pic, to picture making and uh, learning how to develop your picture as a as a collection of shapes. And again, different function for different parts of the industry. You know, character design for animation looks completely different than character design for a game and movie. It's interesting. It's the design aspect. When I say concept artists, the con there's so many different careers that actually come from con concept artists. There's so many different paths to take. There's people that focus on uh, vehicle and architecture. They're really industrial designers. Uh, there's people that just focus on character. There's, you know, different delivery of, you know, delivering in 3D or 2D or texturing or wh whatever it is. Um, so you're saying that you inside the industry, there could be a a vehicle person. Yeah, I think like it's they, too, we, too broad. I mean, the type of concept artists we deal with is good picture makers. They're good drawers and painters. You know, uh, people that I look at as being some of the best in the industry, you know, Vance Kovacs, Justin Sweet, Ian McKaig, um, Greg Mullins, um, they're just really good artists and they're good drawers and painters and manage to, uh, and, and I'm sure they do, I'm not trying to belittle what they do. I think they're phenomenal. And they, they apply their picture making to, and I think that what separates them from the rest of the crowd is they, they're really good designers on top of having great skill. They know how to tell a story. And I look at, you know, some of the, the rougher part of what, uh, the, the, the cruder things that, that Kovacs and, uh, Justin Sweet do. And they're, they're, 
magnet. It's good drawing and painting. I mean, it's just good painting. Um, I don't know how else to explain it. And they understand how to make it functional. And, you know, that's, that's a large part of what I do too, is like talking with students about portfolio reviews, about, about their portfolios and trying to explain what's missing and what they need and directed to a certain, a certain part of the industry. And it's, you almost want to, you almost have to have that student buy in to where they want to go before you can like diagnose what they need. Um, you almost have to say, well, I want to work in this part of the industry. Well, if you want to work in this part of the industry, you better be really good at this, 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 and this. And you have to show a portfolio really that your only, your only audience is art directors. And that's the only, only group of people that can have any benefit to you that, that you get benefit from showing your work for. That's what it's made for. And I, I always, you know, I say this in every interview. I said, you have to look at this like a job interview. And the first thing you do when you go on a job interview is hopefully you do it is you research the company you're interviewing for. You identify what their needs are and how you can benefit that company. Well, that's what your portfolio is supposed to be doing for you. And I think that many cases, students and young, young people that don't understand the industry that well, they think that they need to show craft and my, my, my response is like, that's an assumption. Everybody in the industry has good skill and craft. Everybody can draw and paint at, at a certain level. And, and so that's, that's not what you're trying to show is you're trying to show that you're equipped to do the projects that the art directors have to offer. So you have to show function. And to do that, you have to know what they do. You have to know the industry really, really well. And it starts by identifying and knowing who the players are, who the, the, the people, uh, the artists that are, that are working at the highest level in that area of the industry. That's your job to learn that. Then it's your job to learn who they work for and not just understand the, the, the final picture, but understand the career path. And I think that type of thinking makes a, cuts, the, cuts the, um, the gestation time of becoming going from student to professional down immensely. If you, if you look at art education as I always break it in three parts, um, skill and craft, pro, well, actually process skill and craft. And then the second part, understanding the ideation process, which is problem identification and problem solution solving a problem either in a concept or a narrative and then the third part is understanding the industry really well pairing those three things together and you asked your very first question was uh, the difference be what the academy does and i think it it gets you out of the of what a school's capable of doing and 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 that's a tough thing because a bfa program has a third of it is liberal arts and that's really, that may be the most important part of it. You know, it's like, you know, illustrators, as I said, they're all smart, very bright people that have, can, that have a good understanding, usually of a pretty good understanding of a lot of different things, you know, historically, literature, uh, cont um, uh, uh, contemporary time, uh, paying attention to what's going on in the world. And Chris, Chris Payne's, case everything that's ever been done <laughs> <laughs> every baseball game ever played every movie every, that's yeah. ever been made he, he is 
he just amazes me. It's like, and George Pratt has read everything that's ever yeah, been written ever. Yeah, absolutely. But I, you know, it's being able to, um, uh, the, the difficulty of, of a college, you know, that experience can be fabulous. They have, so BFA program, it's 120 hours. A third of that 40 hours is going to be liberal arts. That's extremely important. I, everybody needs that and they need more than that. And that's why you, they're most of them are continuous learners, continuous readers. And so you have the, uh, the 80 hours of making art and over a four year period, it's not enough time. It's not enough time to, to go from being where I was at 17 years old, trying to figure out which shoe went on which foot. <laughs> um, and, and then to learn all the technical skill and then the cognitive side of picture making and, and to, to develop yourself. It's just not enough time. It's hard. Yeah. It, it's hard to learn to draw and it's hard to learn all that information right. and make it work. You know, some of the, some of the people I'm most fond of contemporary people is, uh, in, in, in the, the Academy as a community is a really interesting thing. You know, most of my friends, like, uh, my closest friends are part of it. And, you know, and many of them are students that I'm good friends with, uh, past students. Um, but somebody like John Foster, you know, John is just frighteningly good at so many different things. And he's, he, he's, um, I, I adore him as a person. He's a nice, he's a great guy to be around. I, I love John. And, uh, and, and, um, he's intimidating as an artist because he knows so much and you listen to his career path and he did a lot of other things. He worked as a landscaper. He worked in a, uh, an art supply store and it took him a long time to get to where he started working as an illustrator. Um, I think your, your interview with you, you did with him, your, uh, the podcast you did with John, they talk about that a lot. And, you know, everybody is at kind of at their own pace and, but they're still going to have to acquire a lot of the same information. And I think that what I've been focused on with the Academy is to organize it and give people the right information to cut that gestation time from being a student to being a professional, make it as short as possible. I think one of my, f my favorite things, the Academy has become a huge part of my life. It's, 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 uh, professionally, um, been good for me in a lot of different, re a lot of different ways. It's been good for a lot of people in a lot of different ways. A lot of students that have benefited from it in a huge way. It has a community wrapped around it. Um, and I don't want to forget to say this, that the person that I'm doing this interview with, Brent, has been a huge part of the Academy for, for, for many years. And I didn't, he's not listed in any of the weeks that, that we do. Brent uh, has an ability to take something kind of, and I think the best way to explain this is to take kind of really complex issues and simplify them. And part of that is a lot of the, the illustrators that, that teach with us, the artists that teach with us, it's really difficult sometimes to quantify what they're actually doing. 
I mean, they, they move, they, it's, it's, it's very fluid of what they're doing. Their answers sometimes to, uh, an explanation of something might be, it's an intuitive thing that I do. That might be the complete answer. <laughs> you know, uh, why, are, why are you using that color? Uh, I don't know. Um, it's intuitive. It's just what I know that color. I've been through this process so many times. I know that color will work. Brent has a, a, a technical facilitation and the ability to explain it in a much more quantified answer. And so uh, we've relied on him um, many times, myself many times, other, you know, especially, you know, we're teaching, we do a lot of life drawing at the academy and we're teaching, you know, we're drawing the figure and it's really not about anatomy. It's about seeing, learning to see in shape. And so a student might throw out a question to my father who's doing a demo about, you know, what anatomically that he's drawing, what bone that is in the back or what uh, physical part of the body that is. And my dad's response is, that's the back of his arm <laughs> or, or that's his leg or whatever. I mean, it's not, um, there's not a whole lot of anatomy, uh, 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 uh uh, detailed information or scientific information that's going to come out of him, but he draws beautifully and he understands it really well, but it's about seeing more than it is, uh, an anatomy class. Um, so I just want, I just wanted to make sure that, uh, uh, I, I expect Brent this summer to be doing, to be coming in and spending time with us each week and delivering, uh, uh, gold, in, uh, delivering, I'm putting pressure on him now, but, the, but the delivering as he does, he does great, great talks on limited palette on, um, using your camera, um, uh, all kinds of, uh, different ways of, uh, approaching color. Um, it doesn't matter if it's technical, he, he has a great understanding of it. He, he's, he is, uh, He's kind of, I don't know what the right, he, he's kind of a, he's a very wise sage. Let's leave it that way. So. Well, those are very kind words, John. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we, we have a, um, long past at the illustration Academy and, um, we've known each other a long time. And, uh, how long is that Brent? Well, think of a number and then triple it. And that's about, <laughs> uh, we've been around the, the block together a few times. Well, thank you, John, for saying that. So speaking of the Academy, what's, uh, I did notice that, um, the, the new brochure has the word boot camp on it, which could be a little intimidating. So what's a, what's a typical day like, or a week like, and what happens at the Academy? They're, they're long days. Uh, there's no doubt. Uh, we, people check in on a, they come for their week. They check in on a Sunday. And they're, you know, they find their room, they find their studio space. Um, it's really important to me. Uh, the, the academy is delivered at Rockers College, uh, in a, at a Rockers uh, University, here in Kansas City, and the the dorms, which are very nice, uh, just freshly remodeled. Uh, they're kind of private uh, apartments, quadrants of four 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 people stay to one apartment, and. It's, it's always been a requirement, the academy is, at least we've attempted to in most places. Um, it was a little difficult 
it, it was difficult at a couple of colleges that we've done it because they didn't have one room that would house everybody. But we, as far as their studio space, it's very important to me that everything happens in one room because I want the visiting artists and the students to interact all day. I want the, I want the, and it's a little bit of pressure on the students because they have to get comfortable in working in front of us. And that can be intimidating. I mean, you, you come for a week of character design and Wesley Burt's walking around the room. I mean, you're going to tighten up a little bit and you're going to think, but, but that's a big part of learning. And, um, we talk about that. We talk about, you know, not, don't be intimidated. You watch, you know, Gary design a piece or Chris Payne draw or whatever it is, George Pratt, John Foster. I mean, these people have been working at it for a long time and, um, it can be, it's intimidating. It's, you know, it's intimidating for the instructors. Uh, I know it is. Uh, I personally, you know, I thought I was the smartest guy in the world. I just, I did, I brought all these people together, all these, all my heroes and they all showed up, you know, as I said before, unbeknownst to me, they probably all showed up because my dad was involved, but they all show up and, and I'm thinking, I turned to Brent one day and I just said, this is unbelievable. I said, this, I'm going to learn more than anybody because I'm here all the time. I said, this is unbelievable. I go from that to walking in life drawing class, realizing, oh my God, I'm going to be sitting next to Chris Payne on one side and my father on the other side. <laughs> I'm going to be found out. <laughs> the spotlight of truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The devil's finger is on you, is tapping you on the back at that point. Well, uh, one analogy to that, I guess, is let's, let's assume we all want to be guitar players. We're all student guitar players and we go into this room and Eric Clapton is there. Well, a lot of students are going to go sit on the other end of the room away from Eric Clapton. And then some students are going to go sit right next to him. And that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to say, yeah, I'm not a very good guitar player. That's why I'm here. I'm going to get better. And you do have to expose yourself a little bit. And you need to sit next to Gary Kelly because right. you're going to learn a lot. And I'm sure you did with your dad on one hand and Gary on the other. And that's, that's very difficult for a lot of people. A lot of artists, I think, are introspective and they're introverts and it's tough for them to do but you know you have to put on your your grown-up pants and work through that well you know even even like uh bringing artists to come and teach at the academy there's certain people that just won't do it you're required i'm not going to mention any names but you're you're required to come do a presentation on your work and do a demonstration in front of everybody and that's when you say everybody I've done demonstrations with Gary Kelly standing in the back of the room and Chris Payne and, and my God, I've never sweat more in my life. Uh, <laughs> it made me a little nervous. Just came to thinking, I just got to get through this. I just got to get through this. <laughs> well, you just don't want to follow those guys. That's for sure. That's right. Yeah. So they're long days. They're long weeks. And what do you do all that time? I mean, are well, people just working and interacting it's, it's really important that everything is assignment driven. We give an assignment at the beginning of the week, and then you're going to get You're going to see a series of lectures and demos throughout the week, along with, we bring models in three times the week and draw from the, draw, draw the figure, I guess, nine hours a week, three, three hour sessions. 
at the end of the week, the following week, depending if, if you're staying, we, we kind of do two critiques now. We do one for the people that are just there for the week, and then we do one for the people that are there for the whole time as a big group. And we like the critique done by artists that are coming from the neck for the next week. So it's fresh eyes. And so, you know, you work with a student and it's kind of like the last person at the beginning, uh, when you're developing yourself, the last person to see your mistakes usually are the person creating the piece. (laughs) Um, you don't see the tangents. You don't see like obvious things that are going on to your, with your piece because you get too close to it. Well, as an instructor, when you're working with the students real closely, you tend to look past things. And, but, you know, illustration is a very honest, it's a very honest industry for one, the best of the best people get the work. It's not about who, you know, trust me, I know that more than anybody. Probably it's not about who, you know, um, it's about the quality of your work and it's, it's, um, it's, a it's, you know, the, probably the least prejudiced place to work. You know, nobody cares about you very much. They care about what your capabilities are. They care about you, pers- your, your artwork. Um, they don't, they, they, you know, I always tell students, you know, art directors don't want to read about you. They don't want, they just want to see art, you know? And, and that's, that's kind of, that's kind of how the industry is. They, it's very matter of fact. Well, I want that, that environment to be that way in the studio too. And be, bringing somebody in to do the critique that doesn't know anything about it, they tell you right away what, you know, they're, they're all really good visually and they're, they're used to interpreting visuals and, you know, Sterling Hunley, um, you know, might be doing a, a critique from somebody from the previous week and he'll, he'll have to make judgment and interpret what that person's trying to say with that illustration. If it's solving the problem, if it's not, and it's very honest that way. Um, when you're close to it, it's not as effective. So the instructors that work with the students all during the week, they have their information about what the student went through and you know, this and that and make an exception for here or whatever. But then when the new artist comes in, it's absolutely cold and they, all they can do is look at the image and it becomes a very honest interpretation of whether they got the assignment there or not. Yeah. And I I think that's a a really unique way to do it. And I know that uh, we've all heard stories about instructors that will critique a certain way. They'll say, oh, this is trash and they'll throw it across the room. Well, that has never, ever, ever happened in 27 years at the academy that I know of because the unwritten rule there is that if you have a criticism of a piece, which there are many, then you have to have a solution to back it up. You just can't say, no, I don't like that piece, it's bad. No, you you have to point out a compositional problem and then give a solution to what what would make it better. So the critiques are absolutely some of the most informative things that happen. They can be long and arduous too. It's, but I think that's where, I think you learn more from a critique, a good critique. And after, especially from, from people that were helping you and then that fresh set of eyes that do the final critique, because you get critique from both. Um, I think that that type of critique is very, very helpful. And again, 
I think you, you're probably going to help the individual by telling them what they're doing right more than they're, what they're doing wrong. You have to do both. Most but, of the time people know what they're doing wrong. Right. And yeah. most of it is a drawing problem. Right. 90% of the time, I think just like, well, it's not drawn very well. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. And I think, I think that it's, um, I think that students realize it because we don't, there's a group of, uh, we, we try to break it down now to like, we're not, everybody's listening to the, to everybody else's critique, but a portion of the students, maybe, you know, 20% of the students, cause there might be 40 or 50 kids there or the kids, students, I apologize. Uh, individual students, um, visit, you know, at the, attending the academy and, so we'll probably have, you know, 15 people at a time listening to the, so you're listening to 14 other critiques. And I think that you learn as much from the other critiques as you do from yours. I, and I, and, and you start to see a consistency and then, then the students that are watching the critiques, I know, I know this happens. I've watched it over a period of a few weeks as they're watching these critiques, they're trying to identify how they would critique it. And so they're looking at work a little bit differently and they're trying to find the, you know, the bad tangents that are in this piece or, you know, where, where they varied from their value study or, you know, their, their, what went right, what went, what went wrong. And they're trying to analyze it in a way they didn't before. And I think that's, that's huge. Um, demonstration. It's like, I think it's, I think what happens in a demonstration is you verify that it can be done. You know, I think that's the, the coolest thing. It's like George Pratt sits down with watercolor and a white block, a watercolor block. Doesn't plan anything. It doesn't, I mean, he has it planned in his head, I think, to a certain extent. Has a pull, doesn't even know what he's going to paint until 10 seconds before he starts doing it as he's flipping through photo reference. And he'll throw up a, he'll throw up a, a figure study and he'll just start with watercolor, no planning, no pencil work, anything like that. He just dives in and it's just proof it can be done. You know, it's really hard to do and you see the facilitation in him and you're just, you're amazed. I mean, it, it really is like watching magic, very entertaining to me. And I think it is to most of the people there cause that's what their interest is. Um, and there's, there's demos that it's not, again, it's really that verification of, you know, you watch him do it. Most of it, you can figure it out on your own. If you develop a, a skill, you pick up a material, I can figure out how to use it. You know, I, I, it relates to other things, but it's so much easier if you can see somebody else do it and you, and you learn all these shortcuts and secrets. Um, but we're not secretive. That's part, that's part of, um, uh, that was part of reality. I think with the Academy is that you always, it's always show and tell. You always have to be able willing to show what you're doing. And that goes from the instructor side too, depending on what type of demo my father's doing. It's, um, that, that's pretty interesting it, because, you know, he's dealing with alchemy. He, yeah. he puts stuff together that has no business being together and, and comes out with this amazing hybrid of no, nobody could ever guess what he does. Right. He, he's crazy with that. No, I think that's one of the things I, uh, and not just him, but other, other artists that I really admire their painting is that I can't figure out how they did it. <laughs> and I think, yeah, I have a question. I'm interested in how they made it because, you know, most things I've dealt with, 
you know, traditional things I've dealt with. When you get out of the box like that, when things become, um, you know, the, the mark making is so interesting. The, 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 you just want to understand how, what was the process that he got there with it. And I think he does a good, probably as good a job with that as anybody ever has. The overall week of the Academy, and, it's, and it, one of the first things I say to people in my introduction is like, I don't want you to stay up all night. And that's the thing. You get your round of uh, a group of like-minded individuals. You're excited about it. You have, you know, you're thinking I'm working on an assignment and I'm working with Chris Payne and George Pratt and John Foster right, ne- right now. And then next week, you know, Sterling Hundley and Jeffrey Allen Love and Edward Kinsella are going to be here. I got to bust my ass to do the best job I can do. I'm, I'm, and, and I'm, and, and I'm, I'm constantly trying to remind the students, like pace yourself. This is a marathon and, and it, it, it's don't, don't come out of the box too fast because you're going to be tired and you're going to miss something that you wanted to see. Well, the, the real part of that story also is, I remember you telling people that all the time and and we would reiterate that over and over and over again and there was one student and it was during the week of Chris Payne that he was having trouble with the illustration it got to be midnight then it was one o'clock two o'clock three o'clock four o'clock five o'clock in the morning and he just gave up so he came in to the critique slept all the way through it and slept for the next two days Hmm. because he hurt himself so badly that he missed three days of the academy because he was working on a, a bad piece of artwork and he should have just stopped it and abandoned it and said, let me move on and learn from everything else. So there's a lot of times when um, the Monday morning critiques actually aren't the most important part. It's the previous 168 hours during that week when you're interacting with the artist and you're interacting with all your fellow students and you're learning and getting the information and Monday morning, if you don't have a stellar piece, of course, that's what everybody wants. That's not a deal breaker. So you did a, a poor piece or couldn't finish one. doesn't matter. It's everything else leading up to that. There's also a, another aspect to that. And that's, you learn exponentially surrounded by your heroes, surrounded by like-minded individuals that are trying to do, accomplish the same thing you are. You learn, you know, people have bring books and expose, uh, uh, expose each other to different artists that they had never seen before. Um, all kinds of things that happen when that aren't scheduled. Um, you watch it, you know, an, another, the person sitting next to you fail at something or succeed at something. I mean, Exponential growth by being in, a, in an environment that that nurtures that. I think you know that was the whole idea: having it in one room, making sure everybody saw everything and experienced everything. A lot of great friendships have been formed at the academy, lifelong friendships, from instructors to students, student to student, student to instructor. I mean, it's it's been very very healthy as a community, and I think will continue to be so. Oh, I remember back in the uh, the the uh, very early formative years of the academy. There was no social media. There was barely an internet, and people would pass around a a tablet or a sketchbook and say, 
put your address and phone number on here. And people were actually analog friends. Mm -hmm. So same thing. Well, John, let's crystallize this whole thing a little bit, if that's possible, with our convivial and circuitous conversation we've had here. Let's talk a little bit about the actual dates of the 2019 Illustration Academy, and then maybe you can tell us what else you're working on. Well, the Academy essentially runs through the month of June. Uh, again, it's this, this summer, it's four individual workshops. You can come for one, you can come for all of them. Um, you can leave and come back. I mean, there's all, you know, people do all kinds of things with it. The, in each one of those workshops, as I said, has their own focus. You can easily find out information at the illustrationacademy.com. Um, the housing, it, it's all, it's all on the campus of, uh, Rockhurst University here in Kansas city. And it's all self-contained, um, art, Art supplies are, are, are close by, um, foods close by, and um, it, it, it works very well. It's, it, it's, it's gone on for 27 years, and I think we, we've honed it to be as efficient as possible. Yeah, you had a little practice. Yeah, and then uh, the other thing that I'm working on is uh, we have developed an online program called the Visual Arts Passage, which it's in its second year. It started out as just three classes. Now there's a chain, a linear chain of, of, of five classes. It starts with a, a short class on foundations that, that I actually teach. It's a five-week class. And then there's process, skill, and craft, ideation, portfolio, and career development. And they're each 11 weeks long. Uh, they have, we're, we're, we're about to kick off the next semester starts February 2nd. There's actually still time to sign up. I think they're, they're shutting enrollment soon, but, um, there's still, there's still time. And the, each, each of the classes, uh, beyond the foundations class are 11 weeks long. Each of the classes has a Saturday live class that, that, uh, is a three hour class taught by the, uh, taught out of the instructor studio at real time live. It's also recorded and you can watch it later on. The class uses, uses Slack for our instructors to communicate with the, with the uh, students throughout the week, check up on their workflow. It makes the, the Saturday class so much more robust. And it is um, each of the 11 weeks, we, we always have two visiting artists. Uh, this next semester, it's uh, Victo Nye and Bill Sienkiewicz as our two visiting artists. And that is um, Visual Arts Passage. What's the website? Maybe you said it and I missed it. Visualartspassage.com. Okay. And there's all kinds of information to uh, read through. They can contact you. They can contact other people. Um, and then same thing with the Illustration Academy if they have any questions. And there's a lot of information about the Academy on there. Right. And, you know, again, it's, it's delivered by a group, not all of our instructors, but a group of instructors from the Academy, John Foster, Edward Kinsella, myself, Audrey Benjaminson is now teaching a, a class with us. And our guest speakers have been Wes Burt, Carlo Ortiz, Vanessa Del Rey, Sterling Hunley, George Pratt, and they're all contributors to the program. Heavy and, hitters. Yeah, really, really fabulous artists. And I think that, uh, I think that we finally have this down 
We have the um, uh, the online aspect of it is so commutative, and and the resources that we've connected to it make it a really amazing experience for the students. Um, I see this. I see. I see the same type of success of the students that have, have just finished the program as, as, as I have from the academy. Well, John, thanks for all the great stories, the great information, and I'm glad you could do this with me today. Oh, Brent, thank you so much. I, and, and I've enjoyed John Foster and George Pratt and Anita. I can't remember the name of the, the tattoo artist. That, that There was two. Sean Gilbert was the male and Amber Lee was the female tattoo artist. Yeah, and the, 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 you've, you've done an incredible thing here. It's, uh, you, you were built to do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's way too much fun, I'll tell you that. All right. Thanks again, John. Thank you.